0: The True Ambition Podcast with John Zink is brought to you by IT Avalon IT Avalon, IT staffing and professional services done right Visit our sponsor at itavalon.com
1: Now, welcome to True Ambition
0: all right everybody welcome to another edition of the true ambition podcast my name is John Zink, and uh, today we're being uh, joined by a friend of mine uh, Troy Fenner and he is the SVP of uh, human resources at Roku and uh, we're excited to have him here today Um, love the Roku products and uh, Love the Fenners. I've got uh, Troy and Carla are good friends and uh, we've had some fun together on the golf course uh, at casinos, all kinds of good stuff. And uh, we've happened to uh, do some business together as well. So uh, you're uh, you're living in uh, La Quinta. That's down in the desert, right?
1: I am in La Quinta now i it was funny it's like we were bay Area people we moved to San Jose September well, not September January 2nd 2001 and we're there forever and then when the um, we bought a second home down here because Carla and I are big golfers and and then when the pandemic hit we I left San Jose March 15th and didn't go back <laughs> so we're, we're we're down here we're desert dwellers right now
0: well you, you were some of the first to make the mass exodus everybody's leaving
1: there is a lot but um you know it, you know what we're seeing is from a tech standpoint um you know it like every company even though they're saying hey everyone can go wherever they want to and work remotely which will be a trend for some companies um you know silicon valley existed for a reason and um people will come back and um companies will people will show up again in offices and and it'll just keep growing
0: yeah uh, not not everybody's leaving uh but uh, not everyone like we we uh our our house is up in uh south lake tahoe and state line and uh the the values of homes are just skyrocketing it's probably the same down on la quinta right
1: it has you know you've got a a lot of exodus out of um you know la area where people are you know coming down here but it's very interesting down here as you'll get a lot of um uh, people that will come down and rent homes um, for long periods of times like besides the snowbirds, but the new snowbirds are like people out of Seattle or Vancouver who kids are at home and it's starting their rainy season and the, the parents want a swim pool and some place for the kids to go ride you know get outside and drive them crazy. so you're seeing a new influx down here but um, you know I'm hearing too back in the Bay Area um, you know a lot of people are living in San Francisco. But houses are selling really fast too up in the Bay Area again. So um, dirt, dirt's still expensive in California. I don't think there's <laughs> any way of getting around that. But getting out of the cities—that's common right now.
0: Yeah. So you and I have something else in common—is uh, Illinois. So uh, you, you, you grew up in uh, Chicago.
1: I was, you know, we're Midwestern boys. I, you know, I grew—I was born in Chicago and and um, grew up a lot in the Northwest suburbs. And then um, my dad, who is an engineer and, and plant manager, his job got transferred out into um, Southern Illinois. So I went from Chicago to a town of 550 people in Southern Illinois, and then went into um, the thriving metropolis of um, in Iowa, you know, and so then I grew up in, you know, uh, uh, you know, different parts of Iowa. So Midwest through and through here.
0: So, you uh so I grew up in northwest Illinois in a town about fifteen hundred people and uh I, I love Chicago. What what suburbs did you grow up in?
1: You know, um after the city it was northwest suburbs, so I grew up in um you know, most of my time up in the northwest suburbs was a little town called Antioch, which was right on the um, Wisconsin Illinois border. So, called the Chain of Lakes area. So, um, you know, just lots of little lakes and everything out there. And um, um, and yeah, that was that was home for me. You know, and I'm trying to remember. It's probably similar size to what you you grew up in. Um, you know, you're 50 minutes, 60 minutes from. Um, downtown Chicago you were you know 15 minutes being into Wisconsin or whatever like that so it was just you know kind of what you thought you know growing up in the Midwest kind of experience
0: well I looked up uh, on your LinkedIn where you went to a college and I saw that was in Wisconsin but it was just over the border right
1: if you could find that on the map you're a geography major let me just <laughs> tell you there so um, yeah I mean I I did take the regular college track I mean I um, you know when I because I, I, cause I my dad's job ended up eventually in Iowa and I went like a semester at the University of Iowa then I went about four years at Northern Iowa and loved Northern Iowa but I was in summertime I was working back in Chicago and during the summer and um I my like senior year or whatever I got offered a job and um they said they would finish paying for my college and everything like that and um for any of you who are listening who believe that a company will do that and give you the time off to go to college i'd say finish college, then go work. And, um, and so it wasn't like an immediately, but I finished, I, eventually I finished up my degree at the university of Wisconsin Parkside, which is uh, a great experience, a good school. But, um, you know, when you see, follow my transcripts, you're like, Oh, well, how many colleges did you need to go to Troy in order to graduate? But, um, I finished that's the important.
0: Thing. That's right. So being from Chicago, there's a question. Yep. Cubs or white Sox.
1: Northsider or Southsider? That's the question all the time. And I, I am a cub fan. I have a genetic disorder. I'm a cub fan through and through. And, <laughs> and, and, um, you know, it's funny. It's like, I will, if I ever interview a candidate, I always scare them in the beginning. Cause I, if they're from Illinois or Chicago, I go Northsider or Southsider this, this could dictate whether you get hired here. And, right. um, but, um, no, grew up in north Sider and, you know, was a cub fan before it was cool. And, um, you know, and, uh, but yeah, grew up on the North side.
0: I just remember all those uh, restaurants and bars that uh, I would go to with my dad back in the day, and they always Rick, had the signs. They always had the signs hanging. Well, where I grew up in Mount Carroll, that was about three hours straight west of Chicago before you got into Iowa. But everybody's Cubs fans around there, so they always had the uh, signs hanging on the wall. That one said, one side said, "Holy cow, we won!" You know, Harry Carey. And the other side said, "Oh shit, we lost." <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. That is a Cub fan, you know. And usually, at the oh shit we lost is usually around September or October when yeah. that sign comes out. Exactly. Up but um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's so funny. Growing up in the Midwest, there was so much, so much of your life um, revolved around sports, and oh, yeah. you know, whether it was Cubs, White Sox, picking up. The Brewers or St. Louis Cardinals on late night radio, you know, that you snuck into your bed so your parents wouldn't know. And then, you know, then football season. But your life really dictated because of the weather, you know, it's like it's snowing. I'm going to go inside and play basketball or wrestle or something. If the sun comes out, let's go out and play football or baseball. But that was just like it it was just part of the weather cycle, I think, for us.
0: Well, doing some uh, research, I saw that you were also a Hawkeye fan.
1: I, I am still a Hawkeye fan. I, um, yeah, I mean, even though I went there, you know, when you're when you living in Iowa, it was funny. It's like, you, you, there's only, you know, the Iowa, and you know, the joke is Iowa Hawkeyes is the only professional team in Iowa, you know, to go see. So, <laughs> right? You know, you're either at a kind of like an Iowa or an Iowa State fan. And even though I went to Northern Iowa, um, and they have a great football team and great sports program there. Even then you, as much you're, you loved Northern Iowa, it seemed like everybody also had a secondary affiliation, but, um, always been a big fan of, um, you know, started watching, you know, Hawkeyes and everything when Hayden Fry was the coach from back then, Now uh, the current oh, yeah. era. And we were fortunate in uh, December going down to San Diego and watch them play in the holiday bowl. And if there's any USC fans listening, I'm, I apologize so heartedly that we destroyed you, but it, it, made, it, made, my, it made my Christmas. Let me just tell yeah. you. There. Yeah, so. right.
0: So I got uh, some friends of mine from back there that are... Uh, my, I got family members, friends that uh, go to every home game, you know, back there. And I just absolutely love when everybody turns around and waves at the kids up in the hospital.
1: It's a great tradition for people who don't oh. know about that. At the end of the first quarter, there's the Children's Hospital that built a you know, a big um, observatory. So the the kids that are in the, in the hospital can watch the football game. And they started a first quarter tradition where the fans turn around at the end of the Q at the end of the quarter and wave at all the kids in the hospital and the players on the field stop and wave. And now it's become such a big deal that even the, the visiting um, players will turn and wave to the kids. So it's pretty emotional, but a good yeah, it's Midwest awesome. just tells you everything about the Midwest you'd like to know about.
0: Yeah, exactly. I got a couple of guys that, uh, um, I employ that uh, are both from the Cedar Rapids area. And uh, when I interviewed them, we started talking about, uh, you know, just those Midwest values. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I've met plenty of people all over the country who I absolutely adore, but there's just something about those Midwest folks um, that I just, there's a kinship between us all that just kind of goes past anything else you just say midwest and boom you got something to talk about and something to uh, you can kind of trust that person a little bit more i think i don't know
1: yeah I, you know it's funny it's i i you know it's similar to you i mean being you know i grew up in recruiting in like you before we moved in human resources so you interview people from all all over the world and everything like that and um, and there's great people everywhere, hardworking people everywhere, but, um, just, there's a kinship, um, when you tell someone from your, you know, from the Midwest and, um, you know, cause you share a lot of similar stories. You probably grew up in the farm community, you know, you, your, your life revolved around your high school growing up and, um, you know, family was in, you know, church on Sunday and, you know where i grew up in iowa i mean you know the kids had a choice of either going to work at the mill, go 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 work at the meat cut plant you know like you know to work in the slaughterhouse go become farmers or go join the military so there was like this big military also growing up in that background in our families out there and so it's just i just think it's easy for people uh, that, that that space they to um resonate with each other pretty quickly
0: well, I think back to uh, baling hay, you know. Oh, dear goodness! If yeah, you, if you haven't baled hay a day in your life, then you haven't actually worked. I mean, it was, it, it, I'm a big dude, as you know, and uh, you know it's like it, I could either work back then. I think minimum wage was either two seventy-five or three dollars and twenty-five cents an hour, something three like quarter that. probably. Yeah, three and a quarter, uh, or I could go bale hay for ten bucks an hour, and uh, you know it's like it got done with that, and then. Uh, the farmer I was working for would bring out a twelve pack of beer at the end of the day. I'm like, ah, oh, perfect.
1: This is I love this job. Yeah, and uh, ten bucks an hour. You thought you were a king?
0: Oh, I was the king for the weekend.
1: Absolutely. Now the hardest farm job, and we weren't farmers. My dad was an engineer, and but we the places where he was working at where happened to be in rural areas and i was bored and had nothing to do so i'd hang out with the farm kids and help them out because i was stupid i was like yeah sh- sure i can go do this and um, the hardest job i ever did was um you, you know you had to walk the fence lines because barbed wire fences would fall down from the winter or whatever like that or a cow would knock it down or whatever like that and just walking out in the pastures and lifting um Barbed wired up and rewiring it, and you'd get done at the end of the day, and you'd have fence posts manually driving fence posts, and you had no skin left on your hands at the end of the day. And then, you know, <laughs> here's your twenty dollars, kid, and they're like, I <laughs> you know, I, you know, I'm rich, you know. I see you tomorrow, do it again. But um, yeah, there was always, and that and detasseling corn, you know, that was the oh other detasseling
0: thing. Those people absolutely. throwing the tassels at you,
1: yeah, yeah get absolutely.
0: whacked in the side of the head with a tassel.
1: Yeah. You, you, you know, it doesn't take long for people to find out weapons of mass destruction and <laughs> you, you can, you can injure each other, but, um, uh, it was good times. It was good times.
0: So what was your, uh, what was your major, uh, when you went to, uh, parks? Yeah, was,
1: that was interesting. I, you know, I got my degree in communication, not, not with an S like mass communications, but, um, theory of communication. So, okay. um, that was big for me of how do organizations communicate, how do um, um, cultures, communicate, you know, do languages, define cultures, do cultures, define languages, diff- different things like that. And and so it was, it was very heavy, like a research-based kind of major for me. And, um, and I accidentally stumbled in it. I, you know, I was supposed to go to business school because that's what my parents thought I should go do. And, and I, absolutely hated it found it like the most boring thing in the universe and which is funny now i'm an executive at a company but at, at that time it was just like no interest in it and um i um accidentally one day i was in i remember being in northern iowa my you know stopped in my friend's dorm room and he had this book on the ground with some class that he took as an elective i picked up the book i started reading it i thought it was interesting next day i snuck in the class with him and I changed my major. And, um, and then my parents found out about that. And um, we had a big knockdown drag out argument where
0: <laughs> none too happy.
1: They, they decided not to pay for my education. And I said, fine. I, and so I was working in um, restaurants, cooking all night long, and I would show up to class smelling like a fat deep fat fryer the next day and um you know for a period of time even had to sleep out of my car because i couldn't afford you know to stay someplace so it was just i found it interesting i was passionate about it and um and that's got my degree in it and i still think it was like the greatest degree to get um even though i'm like i can't say it's like I'm a better HR person, or better whatever, because of it. But there's still things today when I when you talk about companies, about culture, how companies communicate, how dis, you know how subcultures and things happen. Um, a lot of those things I learned, you know, accidentally, and um, can apply to every day. So I'm fortunate where I landed, but um, not the as when people have me come talk to interns or they they ask me go talk to my. Ke- Hey, could you talk to my kid about their college choices and everything? I always remind him, I go, I'm probably not the best role model to pick. You know, it's like, I, it was all accident for me. So.
0: Well, it's interesting. Cause, uh, you know, I, I'm going through and writing uh, this book right now. That's also called true ambition and, uh, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And I was looking back on, uh, my school career and, uh, You got to go after things you're interested in, you know, because that I would be sitting in a class And I would be doing everything in my power not to let any knowledge into my head from a guy who's sitting there trying to teach me But then I would go to band choir all these different things that really interested me and I was the top of my class Yeah, you know, so you got to you got to follow and just follow through on those things and uh, you know And like you said, you're so happy and willing to go out and pay for something and work your butt off for something you want to do.
1: Yeah. I used to, you know, it's funny. It's like when my kid was growing up, I coached a lot of his sports. And obviously being in sports growing up as a kid, I, you know, one thing I would tell parents all the time when they were, you know, why isn't my kid starting or why is my kid not, you know, the best kid out there? And I go, I go, you know, you know, you can't coach height, you can't coach speed and you can't coach ambition or passion. You know, it's like, it's, if somebody wants it and they're interested in it, then they're going to become it if they want it and, and make it their mission to do it. And as much as you want little, you know, Bobby to be the greatest center fielder ever, just, he may not be it. And that's okay. You know, let him yeah. go find something else. So, but, but yeah, you got to have that passion. You got to have that belief that that's what the drive and, um, and those people are the people that win you know in my experience
0: yeah well i got uh it reminds me of uh it's a, it, is brant your only child
1: he is our only child
0: okay yeah we we have 21. John, yeah 21 yeah we have johnny he's our only child and i'm thinking back to um you know when i was going through school and you know uh, like a, i'm a big guy So my football coach in that small town saw me coming and goes, oh, this is going to be great. Zinc's going to be awesome. Until I put on a football helmet and he saw that I was a big wuss. (laughs) He he just was like, oh, no, I, I swear to God, I was like a 300 pound cheerleader on the sideline watching everybody else play. But the cool part was my coach, who also went to the Methodist church where I grew up, was just a great guy. And he and his wife absolutely loved listening to me sing and ah. see me perform music. And he just got me, you know, and he never came down on me, you know. And it's just like there was one day I was sitting and uh, I had my drumsticks with me and I was practicing something with my Walkman on, you know, listening. listening. Okay. And uh, he came up and grabbed the headphones off my head and he goes, You know, I've never seen somebody so bad at football. And so good at music, and then he put he put his put my earphones back on, and he walked away. And I said, "That dude gets me." Yeah, <laughs> you know. And it's it's a respect thing. It's just like, oh, thank God somebody gets me because for a kid at that age, that's a really important thing for an adult to give you some kind of recognition because. because sure. she I, I, I thought he would have hated me.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, that's good that you found that person. I mean, that's so rare.
0: Yeah, it is and those those people are still great friends to this day and uh, you know comment on every picture of johnny on uh facebook and stuff like that so it's always good cool to see the uh, shout out to coach kernelberger and uh his wife so you and i are both 80s kids we are and uh who who are some of your favorite uh 80s bands
1: you know that's uh, you know i, I i have just such an eclectic music thing but i would tell you like um you know growing up in for people that didn't grow up in midwest they don't realize that a lot of the radio stations in town you only had one radio station and it was programmed where you know in the morning was the farm report and the you know and then you had you know like a like the you know school report you know like is the
0: trading post trading you gotta have the trading post
1: trading post. And there was, you know, after lunchtime, you know, the to like drive time, they'd be playing, you know, kind of the pop rock, you know, kind of thing. And then then some country, I mean, they, they would mix whatever anybody called in for a lot of the stations, they would just call it in and you, they would play it And once in a while. There would be like an hour dedicated towards rock or this or whatever like that. And um, and I was fortunate I grew up in a house where there was music playing all the time. So I, get, I just got to hear lots of different things, especially from my older brothers. But, um, but I remember we were fortunate because we lived in town when Cable showed up and like, oh, yeah. we were like, I was like one of the only kids at school that actually had cable. So Friday and Saturday nights, my basement would be loaded and we'd be watching, you know, night tracks or night flights, which was like the precursor to MTV. Exactly. And it was, you know, got to see this, you know, blonde hair guy name. We kept saying his name was Bono, but it was Bono, you know, doing U2. And then there was excess and then, and then, um, I was get big in the new wave you know david bowie's you know you know original stuff that they were showing so yeah it was a lot of a lot of new wave um 80s stuff but um you know you couldn't go to prom in the midwest without probably hearing acdc 20 times during the prom (laughs) like that or but probably half the stuff you play during your sessions i i i you know there i'm i listen to um still and if you jumped in my car today and turned it on most likely the 80s music channel is probably blasting in my car right now still
0: but. well like i told you before um the technical guy that does all the behind the scenes stuff for this podcast is my keyboard player yeah. the band and it's like we we sit around and talk you know it's like I guess we're probably sounding like the old guys now like our parents used to be where yeah. our music was awesome and all this music today's <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. What are these kids listening
0: to? Yeah, What's wrong with these kids? Yeah. But it's it was such good music. I mean, it was just so awesome. You know, think think back to the 80s when, you know, the biggest thing we had to worry about was like a nuclear bomb falling on us and like yeah, they're yeah. writing all this music like hey let's party like it's 1999 well it's funny
1: is like if you ever if you remember the fix um, oh yeah you know, red skies fix. at night um and um you know Ultravox, um reap the wild wind and different things like that was really about nuclear fallout and you'd have people dancing in the clubs and going crazy over these songs and it was um it was because we lived with you know the nuclear you know Soviets and the U.S. pointing nu- nuclear warheads at each other and so but somehow that ended up in in the dance clubs you know and um, so I always thought that was very funny.
0: Yeah, it was awesome. It was a great time to uh, great time to be into music and a great time to grow up. You know, it's like uh, I was I was watching uh, the other night. You know, with Johnny, you know, going to you know, be in that formidable age here in the next couple of years. You know, I worry about social. Um, networking yeah. and all this stuff and I watched this uh, show uh, called The Social Dilemma and uh, just watching the way some of these algorithms work uh, behind the scenes at these companies just scares the living hell out of me you know it's yeah. like we, we had a, a much more innocent uh, way to grow up where everything is at their fingertips today and yeah. uh, I was wondering you know how, how is it with, you said Brandt is what 21 yeah so how how does uh how does it go as an executive coming up through the ranks raising a kid um putting the time aside for family how do you balance all that stuff
1: that's a good question i mean i um i you know it, i would and, and not like, hey, cry for Troy, because it's, you know, I made conscious choices along the way and everything like that. But I, you know, I, I would say Brant between born and probably like 12, he, he got a lot of dad's time and everything, more of dad's time and things like that. When they start being 12, they start, you know, their social circuit becomes different and they're you know, coaches in school and, and, teachers and band and everything else, you know, start becoming a big, bigger part of their life. But I was very fortunate that I had um, bosses who, you know, I could go to and say, you know, I didn't have this kid to be a bystander. I'm, you know, I'd like to coach little league, you know, and I will come in early and I will stay late on those other days and I'll make this work. And, and, and so I just made it sure that it was a priority that I, You know that i could put time into those things or i could be there for those school events or make sure i show up for that um concert and 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 just be present as as best you can be um but you know there's also the other side of that coin where you know i showed up in silicon valley and started working and startups and going up the ramps and everything like that where more and more of my time was starting to get sucked out um, to be an executive and everything like that and so it, it is a it, it's a tough line I mean it, there's there's days where I think um, I, I'll tell you a good story I mean I, I was like about 40 45 years old when it happened and I would just one day I just hit the most depressive wall that um, you could imagine. And I was just a, I was just a a wreck and I just got promoted to vice president for my first time. And would you think you'd be the happiest person in the universe and everything? And I was just miserable. And um, I, you know, I started talking to people and talking to Carl and my wife and everything like that. And what I landed on is like, I got, I I call it the case of the should i should always i was always i should be doing this like when i was at work i was mad at myself because i should be with my family i should be doing this and when i was at home with spending time with my kid i was a miserable bastard because i was like oh i should be working on my career and 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 i should be at that meeting and everything like that and it's the duality of of growing and, you know, becoming an executive and, and, and growing further into your business road roadmap, uh, um, it's challenging and you have to make sure that you, um, you know, y- y- you're selfish and being be able to block time out when you have to, and be, be present when you have to, but I'd, I, you know, probably better off to interview Carla and, and Brandt to tell you if I was good at it, but uh, there was times <laughs> I failed at it and, um, but we started getting into, You know, different things like Carla's not shy of telling me, you know, when I, you know, what I'm doing right or falling down at, but we, like we make like compromises. Like if we went on vacation, um, I was convinced she would pick only locations that had the world's worst Wi-Fi. And she, I was allowed to look, check my email in the morning, and then my computer would get locked up in the safe. And I wasn't allowed to touch it until the next day or whatever like that. And there was just, you know, you, you kind of start setting some ground rules about it, but it, it's funny and, and especially, you know, when joining Roku, um, you know, eight years ago, what a rocket ride we've been on and the amount of hours it takes in order to, to grow a company and to, you know, be a winner in, in that space, but also to, you know, be really good at what you do. It, it, it's a challenge. It is definitely a challenge to, to keep that balance. I wish I had a bet magic answer for it. Cause I, you know, once in a while I'll, you know, you'll hear like Jeff Bezos or, or somebody, you know, pontificate about, you know, the perfect way they do life balance and everything. And then two minutes later, you know, they're getting a divorce, you know, and stuff like <laughs> right. that. Fine. And
0: I don't, I don't think there is a perfect answer for it. And I, I asked I just about every person, I ta- every person I do the podcast with almost the same kind of uh, question because for me, it's getting ready for the years I'm going to go through with Johnny. Yeah. But for every person who's tuning in, we're all going through the same stuff. Yeah. So I just like to get different points of view from each person and uh, let each person take what they can from it. And yeah. I, don't, I don't think there is a right or wrong answer for anything. Just like to dig into each person.
1: Yeah. I'd also say, I tell dads all the time, I go, your first 12, 13 years are the most important years. And after that, for a period of time, their friends and their social network are more important than you are. And you better have gotten all your life lessons and and helped instill a lot of character into someone by that time because because of social media, because of drugs, because of girlfriends, whatever, there's going to be a lot of challenges that will erode that character so you you better be there and you better continue to be that guiding you know obviously being present and everything but you know it, there's this time and period like we all went through it where we thought our dads were the dumbest things in the universe you know and then, and then all of a sudden a few years later they became geniuses again and um <laughs> so um you do your best but i'd say get your you know help build that character now because that's going to pay
0: off you talked about it before but uh, how did you get started uh as a recruiter
1: yeah, I mean that's again another accidental tourist moment in my career. It's like I was working, um, I was working for the Marriott Corporation, and um, back in Chicago, and um, not in the hotel division. I was in another division of theirs. But um, one day they asked me. It was like coming up in the wintertime, and they needed someone to go do college recruiting to all the universities in the Midwest, and I was young single. And I was like, okay, let me see if I understand this right. You're going to give me money and I'm going to get to go out to all the colleges and talk to co-eds. And I was like, sounds like a great job. I can go do that. And so, so I, I went out and that's what I thought recruiting was, you know, going visiting schools and talking kids to come work for the Marriott corporation. And I was like, Oh, that's great. I can do this. This is easy. And, um, and then when I got back, I was just kind of consciously going, yeah, I think I want to do this recruiting thing. And I started in in the person I worked with um, her uncle owned uh, a search firm and specialized in engineering. And, um, and I said, could I go talk to him? You know, would you introduce me and everything like that? And I went there and in five minutes, I realized I knew nothing about recruiting, what I thought recruiting was. And um, this was a retained firm and they were doing high-end engineering. And um, I don't want to say it was like, um, like Glengarry, Gary, Glen Ross kind of thing. Like, you know, first place gets a car, the second place gets steak knives, third place gets fired kind of feeling. But you could smell it in the air that it wasn't... Pretty that close. Big. It was pretty close to it back then. And... They just, um, and they liked me and I kept coming back and interviewing. And now I'd realize what they were doing back then. I had no idea what they were doing, but they were just seeing how resilient I was. And like, every time I'd go in and they'd yell at me and, and tell me how stupid I was and all this stuff and come back next Tuesday. And wh- what they were trying to do is build up, like, could I take rejection? And right. I just wasn't smart enough to figure that out, that that's what the lesson, I just thought they were jerks to me. And um, And, but I finally found a firm that, It kind of resonated with me and I started doing, again, stupid luck um, because I'd worked for, you know, as I mentioned to you, I was working in restaurants when I was in college and and worked in working in management for Marriott. I was like, I knew all the equipment. I knew all the chemicals and things like that. And there was this firm that was looking for a recruiter that knew all of that information and they would teach me recruiting but I already knew all the companies and I knew all the chemical. I knew all the salespeople. I knew how the business worked. And so I started doing mid to senior level positions in sales and marketing in the specialty chemical industry, which was basically thinking of 50 gallon drums of Windex or, or stuff like that. As you can hear, my dog is barking in the background and um,
0: man, my dogs are barking
1: no that was my dog and um, (laughs) even though they were not supposed to do that but there's there's working at home um but anyhow um it it was working with Colgate Palmolive companies like that that did specialty chemicals and that's how I got cut my chops in recruiting and it was a hundred percent commission um I thought every week I was going to get fired and after about a year I said I would never work in a job that wasn't a hundred percent commission because I thought it was the fairest proposition. You eat what you kill, you know, it's just like, I could do this in my sleep and, um, and got really good at it. And then I uh, met my wife, Carla, and that's when we decided to move to Denver and I started doing, I switched to another firm in Denver doing tech recruiting and, um, in sales and marketing. And, um, I, you know, Denver was, it was fun, but it wasn't home. We were going to move back to Chicago. And I, um,
0: just a layover.
1: And I was going to open up my own firm back in Chicago. And I had a friend who was a VP of HR. And she said, Hey, before you open up your own firm, you should go work inside of a company and understand how companies make decisions. Because it's very interesting when you're in recruiting is that, you know, you point your finger at, hiring managers and people and going, gosh, you're screwed up. You guys don't know how to make up your mind and decision-making. And then the hiring manager points their finger back at the recruiting firms going, Yes, you're screwed up. You don't know how how I think. And, you know, there's just this disconnect. And so I really went for an education for like about a year or two in my mind. Um, Carla's parents lived out in the Sacramento area in California. So to kind of placate her, I I think I sent maybe one or two resumes. And of course, this is the height of the dot-com boom. I don't even know if I hit sent and I had two offers, you know, and I ended up at a startup um, storage company. Um, They wanted someone to manage their recruiting team and um, build them. And they were, getting lots of money from deutsche bank and everybody. And as far as I knew, coming into Silicon Valley, everybody was millionaire. So that's what I was going to come be. And and so came here and, um, about what, six months later, the dot-com implosion happened. And I was sitting in my car thinking I'm about to be homeless because no one was hiring. Everybody was doing mass layoffs and stuff like that. And I had, um, when i I, all of a sudden the ceo walked into my office and i go oh here it comes i'm about to get fired and he goes hey um we still have money and we still have to hire engineers but um, we just let go all the hr people and um you can stay but oh by the way you have to do all this hr stuff and i go did you look at my resume because i don't know any of this stuff and he's like "Ah, anybody can do hr it's easy and (laughs) um and so you know, and three months later, that was nine 11. And then, you know, we had people in New York and around the world. So it was like one calamity after another going on. And, um, there wasn't a book, a consultant, a lawyer, anybody who would talk to me. I, so many people helped me along the way. Um, I would call HR. I was young and stupid. I had no idea I'd call HR heads at big companies and they felt sorry for me and they would talk to me or they would let me talk to one of their junior people. And I was, I, what I really got was my MBA and HR work just during that time. Cause I was just doing everything. Cause I, I had to feed my family. And right. um, so I was just learning it and um, I got really good. And you know, the one nice thing, it was an international company, but it was private. So I could goof up things and not go to jail, which was pretty good. Um, I didn't, I don't think I would look good in orange and um <laughs> And um, but I got really good at doing layoffs in, in all countries around the world because that's the companies where you you know were just falling apart. And um, then I got hired at um, Network Appliance, NetApp at that time. To, they were about to go through a big hiring spree, and so I was managing a big chunk of their uh, staffing group there. And then, but I really what year were you there? 2003, 2006, I think, if I remember right. Okay. Yeah, I, I, um, one of
0: my first jobs when I first moved to California, I did a six-month contract at NetApp. But I think uh, that was like 2008, 2007, something like that. Okay. Um, I, that was my only, only touch at uh, working internally at a company. I've been with firms my whole life. And uh, I've, I figured out in that six months that that was not for me.
1: There, you know there's it's not for everybody that's for sure and um but i you know what i realized during that period of time because i was you know I, you could drop me in, i could build staffing teams about anywhere what i found out is i really was missing the hr part because hr to me was really problem solving and i found that work really interesting and so i got hired at a another company um to be like a director for their hr um business partner but it, But also i had to build their staffing team up um and um you know that was interesting i got to do that again and then i don't know about a year into the job one night the cfo calls me and says hey um we're about to uh, you know we're going to let go the um hr head and um, we want to promote you Um, to head up HR. And again, I kind of did the, did you read my resume? (laughs) Because I think the first thing job I need to do if you do promote me is to fire you because I wouldn't hire me to do (laughs) the job. And they were like, yeah, yeah, you're great. We love you. And so that really became my big um, first really thing into HR and um, and, and leading. That was a public company and um, did a lot of different acquisitions. So I got really good at at um, being how, how that part of the animal works too. And then um, it was cr- crazy. We did a lot of acquisitions. One day we got acquired. So all of a sudden I, I became the, the odd man out in, in the process, and, um, which is kind of different. And doing consulting work for a little bit. And then um, one day I got called by a recruiter saying there's this little company in Saratoga, California, um, Roku. And I said, is that the sushi place? And they were like, oh, no, no, (laughs) Dreaming TV. It's going to be big. And I'm like, yeah, I was the first person who bought Google TV. And two weeks later, it was sitting on the shelf in my house. And I was like, yeah, they were saying they just need someone for a month, maybe two months tops. They just fired their HR head. And they're not even sure if they want HR. Could you come over? There were about 100 people at that time. And, you know, one month during the two months was during the six months and eight years later, you know, I'm, you know, we're doing over a billion in revenue, one of the most successful IPOs of 2017, you know, leading the streaming space, you know, in the U S and about to explode internationally. So it's just, um, yeah, it, I, I don't want to say an accidents, but, um, God's taken very good care of me along the way, but he's smart enough to know that I'm not smart. So he gives me like one choice, like this one company called me named Roku and not two other companies. Cause if two other companies called me, I probably would have made the wrong choice, but, um, he, I got that choice and it's been unbelievably successful and just a wild rocket ride for us.
0: Well, those offices uh, in San Jose down by the airport are awesome.
1: They are very awesome. There's 750,000 square feet of empty cubes right now. We cannot wait to get people back into those buildings. I bet yeah i mean I, i'm fortunate i mean my team is besides hr and staffing i also have all of the workplace services and, and and teams and um was very fortunate i got to see that campus built up and um it's gorgeous it's it's really nice and um, the employees really like it and we'll get back there someday
0: how quickly after um covid hit were you guys like a hundred percent remote with everybody
1: yeah that's a really good question you know i, I I remember when I was talking to the board of directors during this time, I had like a little histogram of how fast things change. And one thing's about, you know, when you look at competencies of people, of how do you, can you handle ambiguity and how, how agile can you be in your thinking process? We had, um, I was in China in December of, and, um, and there was reports of unusual cases of pneumonia in december in january something was going on in wuhan and doors were being shut and the military was kind of getting escalated into wuhan and march 15th we all left our buildings and disappeared into our homes i mean that was like 90 to 120 days the world changed real fast for everybody and i remember those two weeks leading up to march 15th was we started seeing like you know telling people you probably shouldn't be flying if you fly this you know every day the rules were changing because if you remember right it was like well this is just the flu it's nothing big or it's you know we're not sure what it means and um but every day the rules were changing on us. And so we started pulling core team groups together uh, to, you know, uh, managing um, what's our response? What do we have to do? What would we have to do if we had to close a, an office and everything like that? And every day it was escalating. And on, I would say March 12th, I think it was March 12th or March 11th, uh, we did a dry run at Roku. Uh, we shut down all, we told everyone to go home one day. And we wanted to break every system if the if Internet failed, if whatever, you know, we, we wanted to hemorrhage things. And because that way we knew if we had to do this, what we needed to fix right now. And it was really lucky that we did that because three days later, we were all running to the exits uh, across the place. And so um, it, it was a lot of challenge in those first 60 days is probably the most I've ever in that 60-day period, probably the most hours I've ever worked in my lifetime, and of just every day the rules were changing. Every day somebody was getting sick. You know, um, you know, what do we do? How do we respond? Um, and and we, I remember, I've got a slide of this. Is we thought if this lasted more than 90 days, productivity would start to degrade, and this would start impacting our business negatively. Um, you know. Should we start thinking about salary cuts? Should we start doing layoffs? I mean, there was all the doomsday scenario you were planning. Oh, yeah. And, it, and um, it turned out, you know, a lot, because I think our culture is strong and the people that we hired, um, we, our people became very productive and maintained productivity. There's degradation, obviously there's, nothing's perfect, but we've been I think our company our people have stepped up and been highly productive and um our business has continued to do extremely well um during this time so um we were Roku's been very fortunate.
0: Yeah, it's been uh it's been an interesting uh learning experience for all of us. Um I've got uh, a client of mine who is a very large financial services company and he's in charge of uh, security. And I met with him about two weeks before uh, COVID shut everything down, and uh, you know, he just he went uh, radio silent for about three weeks because they had to move 7,500 people in India who worked in offices to working remotely in about a week's period, a week's time. Yeah. And he said these people have never worked remotely before, you know. So across the world, everything just changed like that. And uh, Absolutely. it's pretty amazing to, uh, you know, see how everybody has just bounced back that quickly and uh, how everybody is just kind of rolling with the changes to make sure that, you know, they're productive and that uh, they're, they're doing what needs to be done.
1: Yeah. Companies have gone through little, you know, same as us, we've kind of gone through little shifts is that, you know, the first thing was kind of like the food, clothing, shelter approach. Like, do you have, do you have your computer? can you get out, you know, can you work from your kitchen table, you know, or someplace and then you have Wi-Fi at home, you know, and everybody was like, whew, you know, people could still work. And then it became, well, I need a chair, (laughs) you know, I need a printer, I need this, you know, and, (laughs) and, and you're, and, and, and so you, that was the next phase. And then it was like, um, you know, you know, someone got sick you know, and we think they were in the office and they might've exposed other people. And then, you you know, you you respond to that. And then all of a sudden it was like, my kids are home from school and I'm working and my kid, I get to educate my kid and do all these different things. So it's been um, a lot of things. And then then there's some people that it's isolation for them. It's, um, you know, we have a large, lots of employees that um, don't have families and everything like that. And, you know, you've taken them away from the herd you know their 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 friends their coworkers and things like that and you know i've got a lot of people who you know will reach out to us and say like i need to come back in the work you know it's just mentally this is really tough for me And even to the point there's some people who would probably be willing to you know take their chances against covid because the mental part of this is so tough for them and and i think every hr person is struggling with this and every company is trying to figure out how do you mentally health support your your employees during these times also it's a challenge and then you throw out there all the social unrest that happened over the last few months too you had oh. you know you had riots you had you know employees demanding what are, what are you going to do as a company for for inclusion and diversity and social injustice and and it was like every day there was like you know know, didn't i just get over coronavirus and now there's this next thing and then
0: you're like what's next
1: what's next and um, i joke with people at work i go i hope we don't you know come 2021 we never look back at 2020 like the good old days you know (laughs) it's like because that'll suck
0: no no there there's a i saw this great meme it's the picture of uh, marty and the doctor from back to the future And uh, Doc's standing there next to Marty, next to the DeLorean, and says, Marty, whatever you do, don't set this for the year 2020.
1: (laughs) No, No, we can skip that one.
0: (laughs) So um, Roku is, like I said before, a cool company. Um, What is the latest and greatest that uh, you guys are coming out with right now?
1: Sure. I mean, this is our big, this is our Super Bowl time of the year, you know, Um,
0: when you start getting ready for the holidays,
1: getting ready for the holidays, you know, that's the big thing. I mean, what's really interesting is like, you know, you, you think about how like, you know, companies like Walmart and the Costco's and the Targets and Amazon and everybody, how they used to look at, you know, the day after Thanksgiving was usually like when the big Christmas rush is going on. And now, you know, retailers aren't sure about like, what will Christmas shopping look like? Will malls be open? Will, you know, how many people are we allowed in the stores? And so you're starting to see a lot, a lot more internet specials starting earlier this year, you know, Amazon Prime just, you know, had Amazon just had their big Prime days and things like that, which is really interesting. But I guess our our big things is, you know, product wise is we just released our, you know, the new Ultra which is one of the best streaming players you can get for under a hundred bucks. Um, it's really designed for people that are really big streamers and um, just really great product. But one of the things I'm very excited about is one of our sound bars that we're releasing where you have a streaming, you, you can hook this up to your existing TV or, and um, there's a Roku um, technologies in there. So you can start streaming using your soundbar. bar. So um, got some great things. I, you know, as a public company, and I, I have to be careful what I say right before earnings, but I can, I always tell people, it's like, there's going to be some really, you know, every year we, we come up with some really great um, um, um great opportunities for our customers through the retail channels during the holiday season to create prices and great values. And I would tell you, there'll be some good ones. People will be excited about that, but um, I don't know if we'll have the videos of people trying to kill each other this year over buying a Roku TV that that, that some years we see and um, in, in, in Walmarts, um, but um, because we don't know how shopping will be, but we see a lot of people shopping online. And um, we're also seeing, I think what things that's really interesting is, you know, um, our business has done well um, during this time and, and it's a lot because it's you know a couple different factors one is we always knew people would start streaming you know our thesis was you know one day everybody all tv and all tv would be stre- tv advertising would be streamed and that was it's always been our belief and what you're seeing and we've seen like people starting to cut the cable, get rid of cable, and maybe stop watching terrestrial TV, but they wanna start streaming and more and more people are catching on to this and we're the leader um, in this space. And, um, you know, more people stream in hours in North America than our com- competition on Roku. So we're, we're in a really good position for that. Um, what's really interesting is you're seeing though, because people are at home at first, people started streaming a lot more just because it was their escape. Maybe they could watch news or something, you know, it gave them escape from the, all the craziness of the world. But you're also seeing that, you know, people, or are people that um, maybe someone lost their job and their family or something or some economic impact because of the quarantine and they can't afford a big expensive cable bill. And so, but they can afford, you know, Roku of having over 10,000 channels of entertainment on it. So um, all it's done is it's, it's sped up the adoption of streaming for us. And um, we're, we're, we're very fortunate in the place that we're in right now as a company.
0: Cool. So what I like to do is uh, talk to people about, um, as we're getting kind of closer to the end here, a um, few questions that uh, kind of go into uh, what inspires you and uh, there's always people who run through our existence, our past, our current. Um, um, Who is the person or maybe persons in your career or in your life who have most inspired you?
1: Sure, I mean, gosh, I, I have lots. I've been very fortunate to bounce into lots of people that have taken pity on me and helped me along the way. And, and you know, similar to you, I would say that, you know, growing up in the Midwest, I, I, I go, I had lots of coaches and lots of teachers that, you know, encouraged and inspired. I mean, I, I went to, you know, I told people that the high school I graduated from, my graduating class was 75 people and um, 10 of us went to college, which was the most anybody had ever sent any of those previous programs have gone to college, and um, you know, I was. I remember, I, and and not to demean it, because I've lots of family members that went through the military. You know, I I was meeting with the military recruiters. I was, you know, you know, trying to figure out which should I go work in the factory or what what was the next step for me. But I had teachers and counselors and coaches that just were like, "Yeah, you're you're made for bigger things. You know, get out of town and." And go to college and everything like that. So I think those were first steps for me. But, you know, from a professional standpoint, I mean, you know, the first firm I worked for a guy named Michael J. Hawkins was taught me everything about recruiting, you know, and he was a former VP of, you know, executive sales and, you know, for a company and, you know, taught me the, you know, how does sales work, and how the how the ropes work? But I think uh, once I got to Silicon Valley, there a guy named um, Alan Cherry um, who was the first guy to hire me and gave me a chance, and he was a great mentor. And um, you know, I, I can tell you, someone coming from the firm side going inside um, to a company, we can scare the daylights out of everybody. Cause we're work at speed. We're working at, you know, I gotta, you know, I gotta get this deal going and moving and things like that. And I, you can scare a lot of people inside a
0: company. And oh, that, that's exactly what I did.
1: Exactly. It's like, <laughs> you know, look, I gave you that resume five minutes ago. Why aren't you ready? Yet? You know, it's like, come on, you know, time, speed, time kills, let's move, you know? No. And, um, and so he, you know, he got me to, you know, to settle down a little bit. But he also was fortunate. Like, besides, he knew I knew staffing, and he trusted me, on that. And um, but I didn't know HR. And like, he would just give me things or stuff to read, or like, he goes, "Hey, I'm going to go talk to this person about this problem. Why don't you come along and sit in and listen and things like that?" So, I think he saw that there was something in me that I didn't see in myself, and um, just started helping me along the way. And um, you know, I was fortunate he hired me in two companies and, um, and taught me a lot in the beginning, but then I, it was funny. It's like, once you start getting moved up further, all of a sudden you're working with the CFOs and the CEOs and board members and, and, and they start influencing a lot of, of, of your mentorship and your, your maturation as an executive. Um, so I've been fortunate along the way, um, uh, you know, um, You know, when I was at Cimex, I would say Rex Jackson was a great CFO for me um, who really helped me understand, um, you know, really kept things in perspective, but also um, helped me understand business, you know, and the side of the world a lot better. Um, I've been very blessed at Roku. I mean, um, Anthony Wood, my CEO and my boss right now, I mean, he's a... I mean, the one nice, the one really cool thing about working in Silicon Valley, you get to work with some super genius people and, um, you know, Anthony, founder, entrepreneur, engineer, you know, super genius, you know, way of, you know, doing things. But, you know, he's somebody that I've been very fortunate because he, he looks at, you know, entrepreneurs and really smart folks like that. They look at problems differently. It's really easy for sometimes you get taught, like, this is the way the world looks at a problem and this is the way you solve it. You know, whether it's Anthony or uh, Elon or Musk or, or whoever, they, they, they tend to look at problems differently and solve them differently. And it really gets you to challenge yourself to look and solve problems differently. And um, so I've been very fortunate with that. And now I think I'm in a fortunate position where you know, the, you know, my, my nickname at Roku is uncle Troy, because I'm like, I, now I, I'm the person that sits down with the folks and I, I, I implore the the advice to them or be their mentor or, you know, tell them when they're goofing up and, 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 and how to, how to change, change paths and stuff like that. So hopefully it's gone full circle and I'm, I'm entering a new stage where I get to help other people and um, along the way.
0: That's what it's all about. Yep. So, um, if someone's looking to kind of uh climb the ladder right now someone's looking to uh better themselves or kind of get into a level of position where they're in mid-level management senior man- senior management what is your advice for someone like that that uh you know kind of wants to aspire to uh get to a higher level in their hr career
1: well um great question um i would you know, I didn't have the normal HR high background, you know, and a lot of people they go to school for HR, they do their internships in HR, and they, they learn chunks of HR and things like that, which there's times where I wish I did it because I don't know certain, you know, competencies in HR that I wish I did, but I learned I go hire people that are really smart and know how to do that stuff, and they educate me and, and the thing, and I would say anything, um, Man, whether someone's a management or an individual, wants to be a super great individual or a great manager and grow up that, that path is, is kind of different. I think we, even though we tell people, you know, you don't have to be a manager of people or whatever, we still are, we kind of still ingrained in people that, hey, if you want to make money, if you want to grow, if you want to be important, you need to manage people. And you need to build teams and things like that. And the truth is some people just suck at doing that and they shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And what they should do is be, what is it, What is about your work that you like to do and be passionate about that and follow that path. So I think there's two road models. There's, you know, if you're going to be the greatest individual contributor, then be comfortable with that and go full steam and educate yourself and talk to people that you would never think of talking before to educate yourself in that. If you're going down the management path, especially in HR, I I would tell you, and I'm biased because um, it's kind of what I believe in. Other people may have a different idea, but I think a lot of times people look and they hire HR people and they try to then teach them business. And I always tell, go find business people and teach them HR um it's it's much i just think you know you have to the people that are really successful in hr they know how to solve business problems they're just solving it through through doing hr and understanding people understanding feedback understanding culture different things like that how do you get ma- the managers that you're partnering with how do you how do you escalate? how do you elevate them how do you get them to scale that's a powerful thing for an hr person whether you're an individual person or manager but i'd say if you're growing up in management um no matter whether you're in hr or another group it's changed for me over time i mean when i first got into management and if you'd ask me what's the most important thing i would say communication you know giving clear understanding of what's out there what's expected of everybody that was the most important thing and then a few years later than that was you know it changed i went like no you know you need to be the, the smartest bulb in the in, on the tree and you need to be you need to educate yourself on every single thing and and i realized no that was really flawed that wasn't what i what you should aspire to and you know where i'm at kind of like right now in my life is like i i, I tell people like moving up the management chain um You have to be someone that is extreme. You have to really embrace self-awareness and you really have to embrace that humility of, I may not be the smartest person or anything like that, but um, I need to surround myself with better people than me. And sometimes managers get really insecure and they, they try to hire people that at their level or a notch below because it keeps them in the alpha position. And I'm the opposite. I mean, I've really you cannot grow. You can't get promoted as a leader unless you've got good people to replace you or good people to prop you up along the way. And so I, I think I've been very fortunate to be self-aware and I encourage people to be that self-aware is don't be afraid of over-hiring people. Don't be afraid of of admitting you don't know it and you put somebody in a position that's really super duper smart of it. Uh, people will read. People will reward you and 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 um, you know remark about how smart of a leader you are because you went out there and you built a super great team to to help you to help the company scale to help the problem solve and you just elevate with it
0: you know. I love. Does that, that answer your question? That. Oh yeah, I love it. <laughs> it's uh, exactly kind of the growth that I went through. You know, just I, I had at one time I thought I could do at all in uh, starting a company of my own yeah and then all of a sudden you find out real quick that uh, okay i've grown to this level i just can't get past this why can't i get past this well you don't know what you don't know and then you just go out and start hiring really good smart people sky's the limit after that you know and then it's just
1: well, yeah when i first became the head of of hr i thought i had to know everything and so i was working crazy hours and and I, um, I became really um um protective of information i would keep it to myself because i was afraid people would realize i didn't know something or whatever like that i was really afraid of people finding out i wasn't as smart as what i they thought i was i was just like i was fooling everybody and if as long as right. i keep this to myself they won't know i'm fooling them and what I realize, and, and when I try to tell, you know, when I, when I coach managers and people now, it's like, look, I give you no credit. You know, no one should have given me Troy Fenner credit back then for being good and, and, and getting stuff done because I was doing it on my own. What, what Troy should be given credit for is I'm giving you re, I've given you resources um, and I've given you objectives. And your job is to manage the resources that you have been given and solve the problems, not, not to go out there and do the problems yourself. If you're doing those problems and fixing those things yourself, then you've got a bad team, you know, you need to go fix your team, you know, because you, you know, uh, you, you have to build that team really strong. And and the other thing is I'll have someone come to me and say, well, I want to be promoted and I'll be like, do you have your replacement? And they'll be like, well, no. And I'm like, well, you didn't do a good job building your team then, you know, and then, you know. so why would I promote you? You know, it, it should be, you know, someone should be shoving you upwards because they're ready for your space and you should be comfortable in it. You should be high-fiving that person for doing It, it just makes you look good, but you still get so many people insecure about it.
0: That's awesome advice. I love it. Um, I've got one more question and this is a question I ask to every person uh, who's on the True Ambition podcast. So, the true ambition podcast, uh, the quote comes from, uh, everybody knows this about me. I'm, I'm six years sober. And, uh, through, um, the AA program, I found this quote that changed my life about five years ago and it says that true ambition is not what we thought it was. True ambition is the profound desire to live usefully and walk humbly under the grace of God that changed my life because I've always been ambitious. Everybody I talk to on this podcast are ambitious people. Um, For me, when I read that, my perspective kind of changed and my direction changed as far as when I was younger, my ambitions were to get money, were to get girls, were to get power, to get whatever it was that my heart desired. Um, What I took from that uh, quote was to live usefully and humbly under the grace of God and do things for other people. So that kind of changed me. So this whole podcast is kind of about true ambition has nothing to do with recovery. I just wanted to go out and talk to people and maybe uh, help some other people out that are trying to find an answer in their life. So my question to you to end the podcast today is knowing what you know now, being where you've been, what is your true ambition in two places, your true ambition in your career and your true ambition in your personal life?
1: Wow. And I, I've got 30 seconds to answer all of this. It's like the, the, mis- <laughs> the, the great question. thing about yeah, the great like, thing
0: about a podcast. You can talk all night good long. If you want
1: good. Why don't you pause me? I'm going to walk in the other room and Google the answer or something. <laughs> yeah, for a second. Well, first in all sincerity, you know, um, uh, awesome <laughs> blessings to you and your family for six years of sobriety. That's that is awesome for you guys. Thank you. And that takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of courage just to talk about that. So, Good for you john um you know it's funny i think i kind of touched on this a little bit earlier in this is that i you know my um you know uh, my crossroad happened to me when like i said when i first got promoted to vp of of i should be doing something all the time and um you know again i would say you probably should talk to carla because she'd probably have better answers for this than me because i i you know i get um this um from a professional standpoint um and it could you know i don't want to just say it's this midwestern thing in me or whatever like that but i always have this voice of my mom and my dad in the back of my mind that i i should be doing more i should be working harder or, you know that there, there's you know i have an executive admin that's does schedules and things like that and you know and Runs my world, and I feel absolutely embarrassed every time I talk to them because it's just like I know my mom in the back of my head is like, Are "You lazy ass, you could go do that yourself," you know, and stuff. <laughs> so, um, so I, I'm challenged with that. But I'd say from a professional standpoint, I think I'm getting into a really, you know, I, and and not, you know, just being as blunt honest. I would say the last three years have just probably not been the the greatest example of my true ambition and everything like that because the world around us has just been so crazy and an explosive IPO, explosive growth, the pandemic and everything like that. But I think what, one of the things that I'm seeing on myself now is, um, you know, as I jokingly say that, that, uh, that uncle Troy moment is I'm, I'm getting more and more enjoyment and energy out of being able to stop now and help some of the junior people to, um, you know, whether it's saying, Hey, if you keep driving the car you're, the way you're driving it, you're going to put it in the ditch because I, I did it myself. I, you know, so why don't you <laughs> learn from me? Let me, let me help you out there. So, my ambition is to, you know, I, I still want to see those people grow and be better. I'm also like, um, from a professional standpoint, you know, and, you know, average is like the most obscene word you could say to me you know if you're going to give me fighting words call me average i just i just hate that and so i'm still pushed by i want to do great work i want to work with super smart people and do things like that but i don't know exactly what the next step is for me right now but um you know i'm starting to you know do a little bit more um you know advisory roles for companies who are coming and asking like you know how do you get through startup land and stuff like that? So I get, I guess I get a lot of the enjoyment out of um, the experiences that I've went through to be able to help other folks of it. I joke all these gray hair and all the lack of hair that I have now, I earned every one of them along the way. And so my, my goal is to keep people from going bald. And um, from a professional <laughs> standpoint, I'd say from a personal standpoint, my ambition is, um, you know, um, I you know, I, it's, if you could give me a little league team right now to go coach, I'd be in dream heaven, you know, I'd like to get back, you know, there's that part of me is like, I'd love to get back to that, that simple, fun times and things like that. But I'd say my biggest um, driver right now in these next few years is, is, um, you know, uh, Carla and I are in a new stage of our lives, you know, where, yeah she's retired now and um, I'm still, in this mindset of what's next and and you know what's the next job or what's the next you know how's roku going to explode next or things like that so it's kind of like getting back to you know who we are as a couple and everything like that so that's that's kind of an interesting next phase for me and everything like that but i think they're also kind of you know, I always find it funny where people were like, you know, if I just had a better job, then my personal life would be better. If I found the perfect girl, then my job would be better, or like that. I think it's now I'm in that phase of trying to find balance between the two, and, um, and that's that's an exciting part because when you start doing that, you start getting re you know more fuel more energy the next cool thing is going to show up and as i said before I'm, I'm too stupid god has to come to me with like one option and 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 and, and then i'm like okay that's what i'm going to go do and be passionate about but um I, you know I'm, I'm just very excited right now about you know all next stages and all next phases for me
0: well that's a good spot to be in and uh you're a good man i appreciate you taking the time to join us today um, I, I really appreciate it, and uh, I'm also looking forward to see what else uh, Roku is going to do. You know, I've got a, I've got a couple of devices myself, and uh, I, I appreciate the technology. So, um, uh, keep I, I can, I can,
1: that's what I tell everybody. just keep streaming, and you know, gets me closer to my retirement. John, just everyone keeps streaming.
0: <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate the time. Uh, please give my best to your wife and uh, i'm sure we'll see you sometime uh uh, either at the golf course or somewhere else uh, or i'll see you down at roku when you guys get back in the campus and uh i appreciate the time thank you so much
1: you're a great man thank you and love your wife and your and um i can't wait to meet johnny one day you know it's like i i think the last time i saw him he's like this little sausage and now he's walking around going crazy
0: he's a big dude trying to trying to crash everything in our house
1: nice (laughs) <laughs> those, hey, I would trade I would trade my wealth for those moments. Let me tell you, those are awesome times. Be be just soak them up.
0: It's a blink of an eye. All right, man. Well, thank you so much. I'll talk to you later, Troy. Take care. Thanks, guys. All right, bye bye. The True Ambition Podcast is brought to you by IT Avalon. For more information and links to other episodes, please visit www.trueambition.org. Now.
1: Go find your true ambition. And
0: I'll be your protagonist.